You are listening to Season 1 of Future Ecologies. Chenkwe men told me wit, Toitstanat Quiensnas. My traditional name is Toitstanat, and Toitstanat means woman that travels by canoe to gather medicines for all people. I'm Skolmish, Stalo, and uh, those are two Coast Salish nations, and I grew up with the Skolmish Ulchamea, with the Squamish people and have lived around Vancouver and the greater Vancouver Regional District for most of my life. And my nickname is Cease. My name is Adam. Uh, I am from the San Francisco Bay Area, which is also the unceded and currently unrecognized territory of the Muwekma Ohlone. Um, and I am really grateful to be able to live here in Vancouver, uh, which is also unceded Squamish, uh, Tsleil-Waututh, and Musqueam territory. My name is Mendel, and, and I was born here and grew up here where we're are recording. So In the studio. Yeah, right here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Adam Huggins. And I'm Mendel Skolsky. And this is the first episode of Future Ecologies, the podcast where we explore the shape of our world through ecology, design, and sound. We've got a wild first season lined up for you with stories from up and down the Pacific coast of North America, where we'll talk about how to get rid of a dam. Blast it, leave the rubble, and then that be- The loneliest plant. It was discovered by the great to find the rarest plant. When he was 13, of course. And what might be behind those lights in the sky you keep insisting were UFOs. It is awesome, cause it's something natural. But at the moment I said, well, I'm gonna die here. <laughs> <laughs> the city is going to be destroyed, and I'm going to die. But before we get to all that, there's something really important we want to talk about first. Yeah, so this episode is a little bit different than what we anticipate the rest of our season to be. And that's because we're just going to be talking about the land that we're recording this on. So we're in Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. And uh, this is not where I am from. As you heard earlier, I'm from California. And where I grew up, I had no idea. It was never made apparent to me. There was no acknowledgement, at least not widespread, that we were on land that had an indigenous history at all. In fact, for most of my life, I, I didn't, I didn't know. And when I first came up here to British Columbia, every event that I went to 
you would go and you sit down and the first thing out of the presenter's mouth will be, we're on the unceded territories of Coast Salish peoples. So this is, I mean, this has been evolving up here for a little while in the, in the name of truth and reconciliation that they, the first step is that acknowledgement that, that we make sure that everybody understands that that is the history of this land. Right, it's like an Alcoholics Anonymous program. <laughs> there is a first step for sure. Um, Colonizers Anonymous. <laughs> and as much as it might start to seem like like rote behavior for, for a lot of people, that there's just this perfunctory gesture that's made at the, at the beginning of any public event, I think that it is, in fact, a very powerful thing to make sure that that gets into people's consciousness. It's really special. I've mm-hmm. never been anywhere else really where this occurs regularly. And it actually feels weird to me now when I visit other places that we don't routinely acknowledge whose territory we're standing on. Right. So for those of you, any of you who might not know what unceded territory means, that's just that this land, BC, was never given by treaty to the colonizers. So legally speaking, it's still native land. Which essentially makes Vancouver the world's most expensive squat. Pretty much. Um, And the reason that we're bringing this up right now, uh, I mean, it's a good place to start. Uh, But also, we're going to be talking a lot about ecology and a lot about how we design uh, our natural spaces and how that's going to affect our future. And one of the first and most important things you realize when you study this is that you can't disentangle the ecological aspects of these questions from the indigenous histories of whatever piece of land that we're talking about. Uh, And so it's really important that we talk about this before we get into any of the uh, more sciencey stuff, (laughs) especially since we're basically just two white guys doing this podcast. Well, speak for yourself. You're mostly white passing though, right? (laughs) White passing, guy passing. but. (laughs) Um, yeah, so we're just going to sit down with Cease and we're going to talk about what it means to inhabit native land. And we hope that, uh, you also get something from this conversation about how to podcast on unceded territory. Okay. So we can't see this, but I'm going to describe it for the podcast sake. But on my arm is, uh, an image that is actually a signature of my great, 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 great grandmother. And the signature I found on a document, a court document from very, very early Vancouver records. Our family had started a ranch called Kanaka Ranch over where Western Bayshore is. And my, I call her my granny G to the sixth degree instead of saying the G's all the way, but she is the one that went to City Hall, which was a tent at that point on Canby Street, and she uh, was being bullied by developers for this place. She was like, I've had enough of this. I'm going up, and she got squatters' rights to stay on the land, and they did a court document that she had to stand there and explain in the little bit of English she knew, because she spoke uh, Coast Salish, she spoke Skomish Snaichem, and the court secretary typed it up, and read it out to her, probably explained what she said. And then my grandmother made this mark, and it said in brackets, the mark of Mary Siamia Ihu. You know, when you think about that, 
like that was a document to save our land before there were land claims made by a woman. <laughs> Women weren't even recognized, right, until like the, until a hundred years after she signed this. And with that mark, and then my dear friend Canahus, who's a freedom fighter, land defender, water defender, does hand poke tattoo. So she did six marks to mark the generational gap between myself and my grandmother. So I can carry that and have that as my reminder of that work that she did and how brave she must have been to go into this environment that was completely foreign to her. At the time that she's doing this, there weren't even proper roads because it wasn't a proper city. So it was like the late 1800s. In, in its own sense, that's a treaty, right? And it's a signed treaty and she didn't sign it in English. She signed it in her mark. This is her name. So Cease was full of great stories, just like that one. And in keeping with the idea of this being a guide to podcasting or doing literally anything on unceded territories, we've organized our conversation with Cease into little bite-sized lessons for you to take home with you. The first one, good intentions do not excuse you from doing your homework. Well, I think when people are going into a place where uh, whether they're familiar with it or not, uh, it is always good to research what, you know, the stories of that land has been over a long period of time. And I kind of veer away from his story <laughs> because there's her stories and their stories. And so looking at the land's stories and understanding how long th this ecology has existed. Because when you look at it from an indigenous worldview, uh, it goes far back in the timeline to the beginning of time. And we always say that the rocks are our grandfathers. They're the oldest living beings on the planet. And the plants are the second oldest beings on the planet. And humans come along way far away from that timeline. They're way, like, the world exists for thousands, millions of years without humans. And then humans come along, and in a short time we destroy a lot of things. So if you really want to remediate and restore and help wetlands and other parts of the environment, you need to go and allow it to know you. Because that forest is our grandparents' home. So you don't just walk into your grandparents' home and start doing whatever you want, and then your grandparents come in and go, why did you move that chair? Why did you, why did you change the design of my living room? There are all those things, right? And then we just all come in like, well, we're people and we want it this way. And you know, we can easily think we're doing something really good. All our intentions are good. And then it's like, oh, why did I do that? And I've done it too. I've caught myself on things and I had to step back and and uh, I'm not, you know, above being humble. I'm not above being called out. Uh, that's why I hang out with really young people, especially kids, because they will totally say everything that's on their mind. And often you're like, oh, man, like, the little eight-year-old just schooled me. Which brings us to lesson number two. 
learning to take criticism. It's like, you know, people taking cough syrup they hate. They take it because they know it'll make them better, but they don't like it, mm -hmm. you know. Although I have to say my cough syrup always tastes good. <laughs> so <laughs> I've made it so it doesn't taste disgusting. Another big piece was seeking out and entering into a relationship with the indigenous peoples wherever you live or travel, especially if you're intending to harvest something from their territory, like, say, a plant. Or a mushroom. Or a story. When I think about where I'm going to go, it's in a place I've never been. I'm going to find out where the local indigenous people are if I'm not connecting. It sounds funny, but I'll type up a little status update on my social media and say, I'm in this area. Does anybody know anybody here I can go visit and just bring a gift to say thank you for being here? Because I know it doesn't matter who I, who I meet up with, I'm going to get a story. I'm going to share my story. We're going to find out what we can offer each other. And then if it's meant to be for me to pick something, then I don't have to worry because I've made that contact and asked. Uh, and if I'm not allowed to, it's fine. It's also fine. I learned that that's a place I can't go pick. So case in point is the Niska uh, Valley the Nass Valley, you, I can't go in there and just decide, oh, I'm gonna go mushroom picking and oh, I wanna get some medicines. I have to go with somebody who's Niska'a so that at any point, and you might think you're out in this vast forest, thousands and thousands of hectares, quote unquote, who's gonna see you? As soon as we're out with this guy, I go out a couple of years ago, everywhere we went in the forest, somebody showed up randomly and I was like I'm so glad I'm with my friend because <laughs> that would have been an awkward conversation otherwise I would have been kicked out yeah I had, would have had everything confiscated but they're like what are you doing oh my friend Cease is teaching me about medicines and they know I'm not from there and they're from there but they realize I'm bringing my knowledge in and sharing that just openly and they're openly sharing their medicines with me so it was total reciprocity Reciprocity was another central thread to our conversation, specifically how to practice it when giving or receiving valuable knowledge. When somebody asks you for something in exchange for what they're giving you, you don't question it and you don't sit and go, oh, it's going to cost me this much or that much. It's insignificant because uh, my daughter told me something really profound a few years ago. She said, money is alchemy. It doesn't exist. Since I looked at it from that perspective ever since, I don't care when, it's not that I'm filthy rich and it's not that I make a lot of money, but if I have to get something and I know it's a certain price, I just get it. So, so this guy wanted a specific pair and size of cowboy boots. <laughs> I researched everything for these boots. I couldn't... I couldn't get the exact size. And then he stumbled across a store close to him that had them. He said, come and we'll order them from here. So we ordered them. Well, then they didn't, they didn't come in. And four months went by and, and I went back and I said, give me back my money. And they're like, okay, but they screwed up and actually charged me again. So I was like really mad. I was like, oh my God, I've just paid $600 for a pair of boots I've never seen, right? So I had to go back and get all my money back from them. 
Then we went down the street about two blocks away and there were the boots, the exact fit and the exact everything that this guy wanted. So I bought them. They're close to $300 and I just went in and I got them. And he was so happy, like he was so gleeful. <laughs> like <laughs> the amount of knowledge that he has sin- since then imparted to me is beyond what I would consider what I gave him. So it was a big lesson for me to realize that, you know, yeah, you think, oh, it's like 200 bucks or whatever, but then you realize the amount of knowledge you're getting is like a lifetime of knowledge. And how long did it take him to acquire that? So it cost me a pair of boots. And I think that that's awesome because he continues to educate me because I respected his, his request. I didn't hesitate. I didn't judge him. I thought it was kind of cute. I was like, okay, this is what he wants. And And finally, Cease brought all the threads together for us. When I think about ecology, I think about humility and reciprocity, and I think those are two things we have to work on in a deeper sense with our environment. It's about how we look at what is around us and how we create a better relationship with the land, with the ecology. And so when you look at the teachings that come from ceremonial people and you actually live those lives and follow those, uh, those teachings, you start to realize how that knowledge is so ancient and it comes from experience and what people have witnessed and that it's not just somebody making something up as they go along. And my personal view and walk in life is to really try and listen to those ceremonial people and especially grassroots activists who I believe are really following the teachings of their ceremonial people. Um, It brings me to uh, this ideology I've come up with uh, called ceremonial activism. And it's about people using ceremonial activities to uh, protect the lands and the waters and the ecology and to do it through ceremony to actively continue the work they do but uh, it often comes in the form of standing in the way of resource extraction People in this province and in this city know that this coast is our most precious relative. That we have a sacred obligation, all of us, not just indigenous people, to protect what was given to us by our ancestors for the next generation. That's a responsibility for every single one of you living on our territory. So this is something that's going to come up again and again in all our stories even the ones that, at their face, don't seem like they're really about people. Resource extraction is often taken as a fact of life. The big question is, can we change that? Can we become more ecologically conscious, but without leaving anybody behind? 
it's definitely something that we're going to cover in more depth later on. But for now, I think what we're trying to do is just listen to the indigenous perspective that comes from the place where we live. So going back to one of my cultural roots, the Skolmish Olchamea, uh, we are the people of the water, the clean water. So we, our people always stayed near a fresh water source so that there was always a way to access fresh water for our people and so that we could cleanse ourselves and that we could keep everything we carry clean, our baskets, our tools, everything, and keeping that water clean as well. So being around moving water, whether it's a river or a stream, whether it's the ocean with the tides, the lakes that have their water flowing from the high sources of the mountains through them and carrying on through the watershed into estuaries and into the ocean. And for me, coming from a culture that is based on water, it's important to, to know that water has tremendous force. It can save us, it can kill us. So we are humble to the water. <laughs> So let's hear you say that. Chen Ken. Chen Quen. Chen Quen. Mantomi. Mantomi. Say it Chen again. Chen Quen Mantomi. Anha Squalowans. <laughs> so I said, my heart feels lifted. But what we just shared, the word is, that phrase means really good work. And with that, thanks for listening to the very first episode of Future Ecologies. We hope you'll join us again soon. Thanks again to Toitstanat for sharing her stories and wisdom with us, and for being my introduction to the extraordinary world of plants way back when. Sea Swiss Toitstanat is an indigenous plant educator and interdisciplinary artist of Squamish, Stolo, Métis, Hawaiian, and Swiss heritage. Among other things, she has an herbal tea company with her daughter Sinaquila called Raven Hummingbird Tea. You can check them out at ravenhummingbirdtea.com. She's also known as the Indigenous Plant Diva, and if you have the opportunity to take a plant walk with her, definitely do so. Future Ecologies is an independent podcast, made possible with the support of our amazing patrons on Patreon. Join our community at patreon.com futureecologies. This season is supported in part by the Vancouver Foundation. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and iNaturalist. The handle is always Future Ecologies. Special thanks to Sarah Brooke Cadeau and Dustin Rivers, who you hear singing and speaking respectively at several protests in 2018 over the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, which is now just the Government of Canada Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Find out more about that at coastprotectors.ca. Music in this episode was produced by Sunfish Moonlight and Portbow. You can find a full list of musical credits, show notes, and links on our website, futureecologies.net. If you've made it this far, thank you so much again for listening. 
We can't wait to share the rest of the season with you. 